With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, College Cross fans? You're watching episode 259 of the Lax Factor podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about a bunch of lacrosse games. We had the Big Ten tournament get underway. We had the Patriot League one seed and the Ivy League one seed and their regular season conference you know, title decided here. We had a bunch of close games. We had some not close games. We had Syracuse and Duke. I'm going to talk about all of them. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like and subscribe. Hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube so you know when we put out more videos. Also, you can, uh, if you're an audio listener, share the crap out of the podcast with your friends and your homies. Give us a rating, review, whatever. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can watch all of our videos there. You can also get podcast-related swag t-shirts, and you can get just random lacrosse t-shirts. Support the channel that way. But I want to shut right up immediately here, and I want to dive into the first game that I want to talk about from yesterday. It was Cornell hosting Princeton. Now, C.J. Kerr scored the first goal of the fourth quarter on a dodge up the right side from X. He busted a question mark worm burner past Gianfrancaro, and that gave Cornell an 11-9 lead just 56 seconds into the fourth quarter. Princeton would answer with a three-goal run and would take their first lead of the game when Christian Ronda capped said run with a seven uh, with 7.55 left in the fourth quarter. Ronda's Pole gave him way too much room on the left wing. He dodged into him and then down that alley and scored easily with his hands free. Now it's 12 to 11 Princeton. After Hugh Kelleher tied things up again for Cornell, a dodge from out top down the right side. He busted it low to high with 7-11 left in the fourth. Alexander Vardaro would answer for Princeton to regain the lead on a dish from Sean Cameron with 3.08 remaining in the game. Cameron started a dodge from out top, shaded to the right just a little bit, whipped it down to Vardaro, kind of across the field and down to the right wing. Vardaro didn't miss. Now it's 13-12 Princeton. Aiden Blake would score the game-tying goal on a dish from C.J. Kirst. Kirst hit Blake on the right wing, and Blake unleashed hell on the near side corner. He glanced the pipe ever so slightly, hitting the net with some spin, pops back out, filthy dirty strike. It's tied up at 13s, and then we would end up in overtime. In, over, in, in overtime, huge sequence here. Gavin Adler saved Cornell's ass with a huge ground ball pickup. Gian Forcaro, the Princeton goalie, he got himself into trouble on the clear, had to cheap it upfield. Adler looked like he was on point to get it, takes a bad approach, skips behind him to the stick of Coulter Mackesy, almost. Just as it looked like Mackesy was going to vacuum up the loose ball and streak downfield for a potentially very easy score, Adler threw a check connected. Mackesy bobbled it. Adler slapped it away and then picked it up and Cornell was able to regain possession off that ensuing possession that led to Aiden Blake getting the ball on the right wing. Caught his defender cheating way too high. And that happened earlier in the game as well on the other side. Caught his defender cheating, overplaying way too high on that high side. He sneaks underneath towards GLE, put it top right corner as his window is going bye-bye. Ball game Cornell, and they have the number one seed in the Ivy League tournament and the regular season Ivy title. Credit to Princeton for going down four zip and then battling back to tie things up at sevens by the end of the first half. Every time it looked like Cornell was about to, to kind of get some momentum and maybe pull away a little bit, Princeton 
was able to answer and uh, did a great job just keeping this game alive and then ending up requiring uh, Cornell win in overtime. Both teams did a terrible job clearing the ball. I was surprised. Princeton was 18 of 25. Cornell was 18 of 24. Cornell dominated faceoffs 22 to 9. They dominated ground balls 49 to 29, partially because of the faceoff discrepancy. And they also outshot the Tigers 50 to 43 overall, 28 to 25 on cage. It's actually a wonder that Princeton was even in this game based on the above stats and the fact that Cornell only had three uh, additional turnovers uh, beyond Cornell. Or wait, Cornell had only three more turnovers in Princeton. Uh, as we look at what te- uh, people did independently here, uh, Lucas Stanett, he actually took advantage of a short stick matchup most of the game. He goes two and four for Princeton. Sean Cameron, one and two. Uh, Vardaro, two and oh. Slusher and Christian Ronda, two and oh. And note, a bunch of these Princeton guys are hitting the portal here. I believe Vardaro, I believe Ronda, Jake Stevens, I think those guys are all hitting the portal and will probably play their lacrosse somewhere else come next season. So that's a big deal here. But, you know, Princeton, could not get it done. As we look at the faceoff dot, that was key for Cornell here. Between Jack Cascadin, he won 9 of 16. Angelo Petrakis had himself a day winning 13 of 15. So an excellent job by Cornell there at the faceoff dot. And then CJ Kirst, you know, quiet day for him. Three goals, three helpers. Billy Coyle, 1 and 2. Hugh Kelleher was 3 and 0. Michael Long, quiet 1 and 1. But, you know, they got it done. Uh, and thanks to that possession disparity, they were able to win this game in the end. Uh, Chase Erland didn't play bad. I expected with the faceoff discrepancy being as bad as it was that maybe Erland had a down day. I kind of watched the game a little bit before as I was flicking back and forth between Syracuse and Duke during commercial break. So no, Erland was 12 saves, 13 goals against. Gian Fercaro was a little better, 14 saves, 14 goals against. So legitimately credit the Princeton defense overall. They didn't force a ton of turnovers. I mean, they, they forced 11 uh, turnovers here on the day, but they were able to be efficient enough on offense to you know keep this game close and require overtime. So credit to them. If we look at uh, caused turnovers here, Gavin Adler had a great game. Three forced turnovers, including that huge ground ball uh, towards the end of the game. I don't think he got credited with a turnover for that pickup because I don't think Mackesy quite had possession, but that ground ball was absolutely huge. The way that he just, you know, pretty much was on Mackesy's hands enough to make him bobble it and then to bat that ball out of Mackesy's reach, pick it up himself. That that was just absolutely brilliant and why he will for sure get my vote as a first-team All-American uh, at close defense here. So in the end, a great game. Cornell now has the number one seed. They win the um, Ivy League regular season title. But at this stage, I mean, I know winning the regular season title does mean something to them. It's another honor and another plaque in your trophy case. But um, the tournament at this point is the big thing. For Cornell, they're good. Even if they don't win the Ivy League tournament, they could lose in the first round here. Uh, They're still going to get an at-large bid without problem. And uh, for everybody else in the Ivy here right now, I think Yale and Princeton. Princeton's kind of got to win a game. Technically, I think Princeton has to win a game because I do think this drops Princeton to six and six. So I think Princeton will need to win an Ivy League win in the Ivy League semis to even have a shot at an at-large bid. And then even if they lose in the sem- in the finals, there they'll be five hundred and they'll have a shot. But like I said, I'm, I don't want to go too deep into any of that here. I want to just rip through games. So that's all I have to say about that game. Cornell has the one seed in the Ivy League tournament. Good for them. And we move on to the next game I want to talk about today. Here it is Syracuse uh, playing. At Duke, face-off woes continue to plague Syracuse once again as the Orange weren't able to give themselves enough possessions uh, on the day to, you know, 
keep their hopes alive for an at-large bid. It was an ugly day at the faceoff dot overall. We'll talk about it. After some back-and-forth play, Duke went on a three-goal run that resulted in a 6-3 Blue Devil lead after Dyson Williams capped the run on a doorstep finish with a guy all over him. O'Neal put the pass right on the box. Williams received it and dunked it. By far, Williams is one of the best in-close finishers with guys draped on him that you will see in terms of off-ball finishers. I think uh, uh, Xander Dixon of of, uh, UVA, another guy that's really good in close, even if he's covered. I think Williams a little bit better when covered, but uh, Dixon, I think, has been pretty damn proficient here, obviously, as one of the leading scorers in the country. Syracuse would go on a three-goal run of their own, kept by Luke Roja, a dodge to the middle uh, to to where he had two steps on his man. He roached his guy, gets to the middle of the field, slide was late to come, Roja planted both feet, let it rip, tied the game up at sixes with 6.49 left in the first half. And then from there, the wheels would come off for Syracuse as they would give up four unanswered goals to finish that half. The first was scored just 42 seconds after Roja tied things up. Charles Balsamo snuck up the left from behind. Andrew McAdory found him for the score. Brandon Avilas actually got caught assuming that that um, uh, Balsamo was going to go up the right side, got caught sleeping. Balsamo recognized it, took advantage of it, 7-6 Duke. Then Brennan O'Neill took over. Naso won the ensuing faceoff. The ball ends up in O'Neill's stick. He doesn't buy to wait for subs as everybody kind of just crashes to the crease. He dodges from the left, left wing up across the top into the middle of the field, let one rip on the run over top of the Q's defense and past Wilmark, 8-6 Duke. Naso won the next draw. This time O'Neal got the ball out top, bullied his way to another score, and now it's 9-6 Duke. And this goal was sick. He just backed, backed Syracuse down, goes with his right, turns around with his left, rips it, and it's a 9-6 Duke, Duke lead. Dyson Williams would give Duke a 10-6 lead with 2.22 remaining in the half, a man-up goal, easy feed from Ledman and finish from about eight or nine yards out on that left wing. Low left finish, excellent placement, beautiful shot, and now Duke is winning 10-6 at the half. So, yes. Syracuse would get back to within two goals, back to within 15 to 13, thanks to winning a few faceoffs for the first time all game. But Dyson Williams would score his sixth goal of the game off a loose ball on the crease, and that would be all she wrote. I think it was um, Leo scored the goal for Syracuse to get back to within two, and then Williams answered right back, and that's the ball game. Now, just like with Princeton, fighting back against Cornell, credit Syracuse for not giving up on a day that saw them get outplayed at the faceoff dot in every moment that mattered most. They had limited possessions all game long, but they were able to be efficient enough to keep things respectable, even though the outcome of the game was never really in question. We're going to see a lot of that today, a lot of two, three-goal games or three-goal games where the outcome wasn't really in question, but the score by the end looked a little bit more reasonable than the game felt. Jake Naso embarrassed the Cuse duo by winning 22 of 35 uh, faceoffs with 11 ground balls. So Fine and um, Rakusa just got absolutely roached at the dot. Combine that stat with the fact that Will Mark struggled having one of his worst games of the year. 10 saves versus just 18 goals against, and you have that outcome. Once again, not Will Mark's fault. He actually didn't play too bad, but between O'Neal just lacing absolute lasers on him between a lot of the inside finishes that Williams got where what the hell are you going to do? You know, that that outcome, it was always going to happen here. Uh, for Duke, the win adds to their already strong resume as they try to uh, try and fight Notre Dame for that one seed in the NCAA tournament. Now, I think they're a lock at the two seed. I think Notre Dame gets the one seed unless Notre Dame loses to Carolina, which I don't think they're going to do. I think what's going to hold Duke back 
is even though they've got, uh, I believe, you know, pretty pretty solid quality wins, I think that loss to Jacksonville is going to be the difference between them getting the one seed and the two seed. So I think Duke gets that two seed. For Syracuse, they were just a mediocre face-off man away from being a tournament team this year. With all the youngsters they had on offense, with as well as the defense played, considering that possession disparity and the fact that they had their top two guys injured for most of the season. So they were shorthanded. Obviously, Wilmark was a huge factor in that in terms of their goals against average, but the defense didn't do as badly as I thought they would. And uh, so for Syracuse, if they could just bring in a FOGO next year that wins 47 to 52% of their draws and avoid any type of exodus in the, in the transfer portal, which I don't see happening, then they should be a tournament team next year. So we'll see a lot of improvement. But in the end, Duke wins. Duke is going to be the one or two seed, you know, at absolute worst, the three seed. But I do not see that happening. If we dive into here and we look at what happened for Cuse, Joey Spelina finished a season as I think it's the fourth all-time leading scorer as a freshman, but I believe because I don't give a shit about total points because these guys don't all play the same number of games. I believe that 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 this game, and I think he kind of already had it locked up, that Spelina is the all-time leading scoring freshman in Syracuse history in terms of points per game. And you, you'll hear some people chirp saying he he only averaged three points and change against ACC teams and then you know five-plus against everybody else that wasn't an ACC team, which is probably true. Um, but still, the kid's a freshman. The kid's being marked. He's drawn you know, pretty much the best defender from every team, getting lots of attention. So credit to Spelina for having a hell of a season. And then, then for me as a Syracuse fan, I'm just pumped uh, to see who we have back. Look at the faceoff dot. Fine was 7 of 22. Uh, Recusa was 6 of 13. But I believe he won three or four of those late in the game as they kind of went on that run to get back to within two goals. So it was too little too late at that point. And then for Duke, as we look at Dyson Williams, had six goals and a helper on the day off, just seven shots. That's just ridiculous. Brennan O'Neill, four and two on the day off, just six shots. Andrew McAdory, two and two on the day off, just three shots. Actually, O'Neill had eight shots here, I'm seeing. Uh, so, I mean, Duke got it done across the board. You look at Naso here, an absolute freak, 22 of 35. And then in cage, uh, Wilhelm actually ended up getting pulled, and they put a, a Bonafidi in. Bonafidi didn't do much better, but I thought that was weird that they yanked Wilhelm over that uh, uh, over a you know what didn't seem to be worthy a worthy reason, and I do not believe it was injury based. I believe they did say during the telecast that it was um, uh, performance based, and I didn't think that his performance was all that bad up to that point. There was a that one bouncer I think that Cook scored was looked a little ugly, so maybe that played into it a little bit, but uh, we shall see. So, like I said, Duke. They're going to be fine, and I think they still have one game against somebody some somebody that's bullshit. I forget who it is. They, they'll finish off with one more win, and then they'll get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, that's enough for that game here. We're going to talk about the next one. It is Yale at Harvard. This was a win and get in game for both of these teams. Lose and you're done. Uh, at least Yale had a chance, even if they lost this, of maybe picking up an at-large bid with their, their RPI still being pretty high. Harvard, they are done now for the season. Yale jumped out to a 6-1 lead before Harvard got their crap together enough to keep things at least a little bit interesting. Leo Johnson messed around and scored the game's first three goals. His first was on a dish for Matt Brandau as Johnson cut across the crease. The ball glanced off George L. Alvarez's body and into the net on his left side. His third of the game and of that run came just two minutes and 49 seconds into the game. This time, Johnson was sneaking up the left side, got a feed about a step above GLE. He buried it. Kyle Zawadzki had the dish. Three-zip Yale at this point. Brad Sharp made it four-zip Yale prior to Sam King finally getting Harvard on the board and making the score four to one. But then Leo Johnson would score his fourth goal of the game on a dodge from X. 
up that left side, turned his hips, buried it in stride to give Yale a 5-1 lead. I could... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Show you more because like Syracuse, Harvard was able to get back to within two goals later after Graham Blake scored with 541 left in the contest. That made the score 13 to 11 Yale, but that would be it because Chris Lyons would score the backbreaker with 39 seconds left in the game and Yale would punch their ticket to the Ivy League tournament while Harvard remains below 500 and is now removed from consideration forevermore. Their season is over. As we dive into what took place here, they did a good job. Yale did at the faceoff dot. Uh, Nicholas Ramsey, he wins 18 of 27 on the day. And then, like we said, Leo Johnson, big day here, big first half, or actually, yeah, big first quarter was it for Johnson. Four goals off seven shots. Matt Brandau was two and two. Chris Lyons, three and oh. That's kind of their three-headed monster right there. So they did, you know, enough to, to pick up the win and get them into the Ivy League tournament. And I think that even if they lose in the first round of the Ivy League tournament, I think that's enough to probably punch them a ticket to the NCAA tournament via an at-large if they are to lose. We'll talk about matchups for the Ivy League tournament here in Wednesday's show. And uh, defensively, also, nothing special here. It was a pretty vanilla game overall. As we look at Paquette here, he was a big uh, big factor in the win here. 16 saves against 11 goals against for Yale. And the goalkeeping uh, duo between Alvarez, who Alvarez got yanked uh, quickly here. He made, he made it through the first quarter, had just two saves against seven goals against Christian Bernard, who started most of the games, I think, here this season for Harvard. He did make nine saves, seven goals against, so he's able to help Harvard, you know, get back into it a little bit and make it respectable. But in the end, that was all she wrote. Didn't matter. And uh, Yale, Yale wins. Harvard's done. Harvard's done. Now, the next game that we got to talk about here, that would be Ohio State at Michigan, second weekend in a row here, second game in a row. Jack Meyer scored off a textbook, question mark Dodge, and uh, gave Ohio State a 3-2 lead with 8.05 left in the first quarter. And it looked like maybe Ohio State was going to be able to hang with Michigan this week, unlike last week, but that was not the case. The Wolverines would go on a six-goal run from there, and they actually scored nine of the game's next 10 goals en route to a 14-10 win in the Big Ten quarterfinals. Ryan Cohen scored on a dish from Josh Zawada with 9-11 left in the first half to give Michigan an 8-3 lead, and they would never look back from there. The reality was Ohio State didn't play that bad from a statistical standpoint. I think they played a little bit better than they did last week. They did well at the faceoff dot, whereas last week they didn't. Uh, but Shane Carr for Michigan in cage, he had a big day making 14 saves against just 10 goals against, and that kept Ohio State from being able to gain any true momentum Um especially uh, in the first half as Carr, as Carr kind of held the Buckeyes scoreless for a good stretch here, I think between like the second quarter and maybe the end of the third quarter over the fourth. So Shane Carr factored heavily in that. Michigan will now advance to take on Penn State in the Big Ten semis, which we'll talk about in Wednesday's preview show. Penn State beat Michigan earlier in the year, but the Wolverines are bringing a bit of momentum and even some swagger into the matchup in this 
upcoming weekend. My nose is itching, guys. Uh, Ohio State here, as we saw, said, Jack Myers, he scored that, that uh, what was it? He scored early anyway. He goes 2-1 and one on the day. That caps a pretty disappointing season for Myers. I'm not saying that to shit on Myers. Myers is an incredible lacrosse player. I'm just saying I know for him even, he's disappointed with with not just his own production, but his team's production. But probably, you know, you, you worry about what you control, and he could control himself, and he did not have the best season. Probably the worst season he's had in uh, over the last three three of them. Uh, if we come down here and look at Michigan, Bryce Clay, two and two, Peter Thompson, two and two, Ryan Cohen, three and one, Bame, two and one, Zawada, two and one. Michigan spreading it out, getting scoring from a lot of guys here. As we talked about, uh, Wheatfield and Rowlett had done a great job at the faceoff dot. Nine of 13 out of Whitefield, and I, I say Wheatfield, Whitefield, I try to cover both just in case here. And then uh, Rowlett was six of 15. It's been like that all year. They've gone with both of them, but it's been uh, Whitfield that's been the better of the two in terms of percentage but I think Rowlett just mixes things up enough and throws teams off their pace that they can't fully adjust to Whitfield. But credit Ohio State. They didn't get ra- uh, absolutely ravaged. Uh, Matthew Fritz goes 13-27, to 27, so that's respectable. That's partly why the score didn't get completely out of hand because they did a decent job. I saw Mitchell Pelkey. He scored a goal. Got blasted on it, I think, and was rolling around on the turf a little bit. So he was hurt for a little bit. Uh, but like like I said, Skylar Walland did not play great in cage for Ohio State. Seven saves against 14 goals against. Shane Carr wins the goalie battle. They win the game. Michigan goes on to take on Penn State uh, in the Big Ten semifinals. Next game we got to talk about is the other Big Ten quarterfinal here. Rutgers and Maryland. It was Daniel Maltz scored with 13 seconds left in the first quarter on a long pass from Kyle Long. I didn't even put that in there on purpose. The, the pass actually spanned about 30 yards of field. Maltz uh, received the dish on the right wing, let it rip, and get, that gave Maryland a 4-1 lead. And then just as Rutgers looked to be getting back into it, a Rutgers turnover led to a runout for Maryland that led to Braden Erksa receiving the feed as the point man on the fast break. He immediately hits Brett Makar, of all people, that was trailing the play, who let it rip, scored the biggest juice goal of the day for the Terps. And that actually, that was the end of the half. That was the, the score was what here? 8-2-5 at the end of the half. The Terps, though, came out and scored uh, three of the first four goals of the second half and route to an 11-5 lead, and that was all she wrote for Rutgers. If we come in here and we look at the stats for Maryland specifically, Braden Erksa, one goal, six helpers off four shots, uh, just two turnovers in the day, so the freshman has done a great job for Maryland. Danny Kelly, 4-1. and one. Danny Maltz, 3-1. and one. They got the two Dannys tearing it up in terms of goal-scoring prowess. And then uh, Kyle Long and Owen Murphy, each 1-2. and two. So Maryland spreads it out. Big thing here. The biggest factor, as always, for Maryland, Luke Weirman, 20 of 27 with 9 GBs at the faceoff dot and just one turnover. So a hell of a job out of Weirman here, uh, granting Maryland just unlimited possessions. Brian, both goalies, I, I said that you know if Kyle Mullen had a decent day, then that was what was going to be required for Rutgers to have a chance here. He did have a decent day, 13 saves against 14 goals against Rupel. Kept pace with him for Maryland. 10 saves against 11 goals against. But in the end, that possession disparity was enough for Maryland to just keep rolling. Not not the most efficient offense in the nation by any means, but uh, with all those possessions, they score enough to win games, and their defense has been incredible. And actually, uh, speaking of defense, Ross Scott, no goals off just two shots. He did have four assists on the day, though, overall. Uh, Jack Amo, uh, Amon, he goes 4-1, and one, so Knobloch 3-0. and oh. So Rutgers, they're done. Uh, they're not done. They do have a shot at maybe picking up an at-large bid, but they are definitely going to either be, I think, the last team in 
or the first team out. And I'm leaning, depending on how things play out, I'm leaning into them maybe being the first team out. But we shall see. Let us dive into another game here, Denver and Marquette. Denver needed OT to pick up a resume-building win over Marquette and solidify their solidify their seed in the Big East tournament. Denver held a 14-11 lead in the fourth quarter before giving up three straight goals to Marquette, including the game-tying goal with just 11 seconds left in regulation. That goal was scored by Jake Stegman unassisted. That made it 14 up with 11 seconds left, as I said. Uh, it was Stephen Avery that stuck the game winner. A quick dodge down the right alley where Avery's defender just was way off of his hands here. Uh, so he actually had enough time to stop before the slide could get there. He planted. He let it rip, and he scored that game winner. Uh, credit to our man here, Alex Stathakis, as always, he dominated the faceoff dot 22 of 33. So a hell of a job by Marquette overall, you know, being able to keep pace and force overtime, considering that Stathakis absolutely just demolished them. The reason that uh, Marquette didn't get demolished is because, as has, as has been the an issue for Denver all year, goalkeeping, uh, goal, you know, goalkeeper play. Uh, Malcolm Kleban, he gets to start. Seven saves against 14 goals against. That's not good enough, and that's why Marquette was able to keep pace despite getting absolutely waxed at the dot. And then uh, Lucas Lawis uh, for Marquette, 15 saves against 15 goals against, so that's not bad. Marquette scores. Bobby O'Grady goes for six goals. He has a big day, but it doesn't matter because Richie Connell, uh, the Richmond transfer. Was he Richmond transfer? Was he a Penn transfer? I always forget. I think he was Richmond. Anyway, I've been waiting for this dude to tear it up. He goes for four goals and two assists on a day that Denver Denver needed this win to build their resume in the event they don't win the Big East tournament. And, you know, this this will count towards that a little bit. But the, more importantly, they just couldn't couldn't afford this loss if they're not going to win the Big East tournament. So I think Denver's RPI now might be as high as 10, 10th. Uh, after picking up this win. So even if they lose in the first round of the Big East tournament, they still have a shot at an at-large bid. If they lose the first round of the Big East tournament, that shot's going to be slim. They're going to be, you know, sitting there looking as being like, you know, close to the last team in or maybe one of the first two teams out. But uh, that win helps them, and now they get a chance to pick up another decent win and route to um, – and route to hopefully upsetting Georgetown and winning the Big East tournament. Uh, I'm going to shut up about that one, and we're going to move on next to Army and Boston U. It was Thomas Niedringhaus that scored the game winner with just three minutes to play in the contest, handing Boston U the top seed in the Patriot League tournament, as well as that regular season title. Army was up 10-9 with 12-23 left, but BU scored three of the game's last four goals with Vince Dalto netting two of them to climb back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Back and get this win for Boston U. If we kind of pop in here and we look at what the three-headed monster for Boston U did, uh, D'Alto was two and three, Louis Perfetto zero oh and three, Timmy Lay two and zero. Oh, but then they get uh, scoring from the depth in their roster. Here we get Jake Cates, Thomas Nidringhaus, and Zach uh, Travaglini. They score two each. Nidringhaus scoring the game winner, and then at the faceoff dot, Connor Calderon. 
did not win that battle here. It was Will Coletti of Army winning that battle 17 to 27. Uh, but goalkeeping play mattered a lot uh, also in this one. Army, 17 saves for Knox Den against 12 goals against. Matt Garber, 10 saves against 11 goals against. So it's interesting here when you look at some of these stats uh, that, that Boston U was able to hold on and win here. Boston U took more shots. Boston, you put more shots on cage despite getting waxed in terms of face-off. So I think Army's offense was just a little bit too um, inefficient, I, I suppose, is what you would say here, especially over the second half here. If you look at turnovers over the course of the first half, Boston, you had 10 to Army 7. Over the course of the second half, it flipped. Boston, you only turned the ball over six times in the second half, five in the third, and then they had a very clean fourth quarter with just one turnover, Boston U did. Army turned it over six times in the third, five times in the fourth, 11 turnovers in the second half for Army, and that was enough to kind of see things shift, and Boston U pulls out this win. And uh, that's it. Actually, Boston U was also 3-6 of six in the, on the man up, so that played heavily, and uh, they generally stayed out of the box. Only one penalty, whereas they, they capitalized on three of six Army penalties. Let's see how that played out here. Yeah, and two, and th two of those hurt badly because we see to start the second half out, Army had two penalties that resulted in two quick Boston U goals uh, over the course of that third quarter. That actually got them back to tied after they scored that second one. And then Dalto scored a man-up goal with 6.54 left to give Boston U a one-goal lead before Will Coletti tied it up off the ensuing faceoff before uh, Nidringhouse then ended up having to score the game winner with about three minutes left or so. So uh, good job by Boston U. They get the regular season Patriot title and uh, the one seed in the tournament. And that's all we're going to say about that one. Uh, we're going to dive here into Binghamton. Now, Binghamton actually had a, a decent lead at points in this game. As we kind of come down here, we see, I was watching it. Yeah, 8-5 here, 9-5 here before Albany goes on a 1-2-3-4 goal run between the second and the, the end of the second quarter and the, the beginning of the third quarter. And they uh, Albany was able to tie it up at nines, but then Binghamton answered, Albany scored again, and it kind of went back and forth to the point that Binghamton held a 15-13 lead late in the fourth before um, Albany was able to kind of score that last goal to get back to within a goal, and Binghamton held on for the win. It was Gage Adams for Binghamton that scored the eventual game winner. I think that gives Binghamton the three seed in the tournament, so they will take on Bryant. Uh, in the in the America East tournament, and Albany will have to face Vermont. Albany not really enjoying the the battles here between Vermont and Binghamton uh, because Binghamton and Vermont both have very capable faceoff men that have played well. Uh, is is a similar with uh, Princeton. Binghamton's got a bunch of guys in the portal, and I'll talk about that as I rip through here. Uh, scores for Binghamton: Adam Gage had five goals. Thomas Greenblatt two and two. I believe Greenblatt. And Keegan, uh, Matthew Keegan, are both going to be in the portal here coming up next season. So it'll be interesting to see where those two land. Uh, but they both end up putting up four points. Uh, in cage for Binghamton, uh, Connor Winters, 15 saves, 14 goals against. He did a great job. And then, like I said, face-off-wise, Matthew D'Souza has done an incredible job for Binghamton University all year. Ross uh, Chazanow has or Chazanow has also been pretty good. But, yeah, we see D'Souza was 15-25 to 25 on the day, and then Chazanow comes in uh, in relief and wins 5 of 9. So that, that that's a, an excellent job for Binghamton University. I, I should have gotten off my ass and gone to this game, but I decided to drink beer and not go instead. And the next game I want to talk about here is Georgetown against Villanova. As we see Georgetown, they kind of jump out to an early lead. Villanova just kept kind of getting close, getting close, getting close. But as we look, you know, at one point it was 1-1, 3-1, 3-2, 4-2, 4-3, 5-4. And then um, 
Georgetown started pulling away a little bit, 9-6, 10-6, and they win 12-8 in the end. And uh, for Villanova, what did Campbell do? Campbell was held to one goal, two helpers off eight shots. As we come down here and we look at Georgetown, Tucker Dordovic, four goals, one helper off 11 shots on the day. Graham Bundy Jr., who's been shooting the ball much better to close the season out, three goals. Brian Minikis, the transfer from Colgate, two and one. Nikki Solomon, the transfer from Carolina, two and oh. Uh, so yeah, uh, Georgetown pretty much got it done. Uh, Riley at the faceoff dot five of 11, not the best day for Riley overall, but Carson Milburn comes in, he goes eight of 13. So that helps them out. And then Danny Hinks, who is now back starting in cage for Georgetown, seven saves against eight goals against. And uh, like I said, this gives Georgetown the, the one seed in the big East tournament and they're going to, they're favored to win the tournament. We'll talk about the matchups and all that crap here later in the week. Next game we've got to talk about is Loyola at Lehigh. Now, I actually watched this one Friday night. Uh, Lehigh jumped out to a 7-4 to lead by the half. They held a 10-5 to lead by the end of the third quarter. Loyola did get their crap together over the course of the fourth quarter, but it was too little too late at that point. I don't think they would. They never really got back ever to, to really challenge it overall here. Obviously, as is always a story here for um, – Lehigh, Mike Sisselberger at the faceoff dot wins 20 of 25. Sean Dow took two, lost them. They're just like, hey, we got to throw Loyola a couple of bones here. Um, but yeah, Sisselberger, just an absolute monster of a day. 13 GBs. Did turn the ball over four times, but I mean, you're gonna that's going to happen. Loyola's actually really good at losing a faceoff and then at least pestering the faceoff guy. Loyola's lost so many faceoffs this year. They have gotten good at, at pressuring uh, faceoff wins and turning those into possessions for Loyola. But uh, in terms of scoring, Scott Cole had a monster day, six goals and a helper. Justin Tiernan, three and three. John Sidorsky, two and two. Christian Moulet, two and one. So Lehigh gets it done across the board. The, what's his name? Richard Checo here, uh, the freshman defender. He had three cost turnovers. So uh, two GBs to go with that. So he did a good job as well. But uh, Lehigh, they win themselves this game. And now they're going into the Patriot League tournament with a little bit of momentum. And that's all we're going to do uh, on that one. Next game we have to talk about here, UMass. And Hobart, this one had implications in terms of the the A10 tournament. I don't exactly remember what they were, uh, but I do I do know now that UMass did win this game. They had a lead, you know. For the, Hobart was able to kind of get back to uh, get back to tied, and then they took a six five lead with nine forty nine left in the first half. But um, UMass was able to kind of control it from there. They played a little bit of back and forth before the third and fourth quarters. UMass pulls away and they win the game 13-9. to Let's see what we did at the faceoff dot for UMass because that's always a factor with the Riz King, the Drip King. Uh, Caleb Hammett, 14-23. So he kind of splits at the dot. One turnover so I think that's pretty much a 50-50 a split. He had 12 GBs uh, but scoring here for, Matt, for UMass. Uh, Mike Tobin Three and two here. Where are our other guys that put up points? Uh, Mason Bregman, three goal or three points, two and one. Uh, Will Abbott, one and two. Where is that big boy, man? Number ninety nine. Yeah, Mason Bregman. I like that guy. Beast of an attackman. He goes two and one on the day. So UMass gets to win, and uh, now they have some momentum heading into the A ten tournament. And let us move on from there. Now. I'm just going to kind of start ripping through here. We're at 33 minutes. So I'm going to start ripping through and talking about the games I missed. Uh, Holy Cross uh, got waxed by Colgate. Nobody cares. Drexel beat Monmouth. Nobody really cares. Is that disrespectful? Uh, Army or Navy did end up beating Bucknell. 
nine to twelve. So that that's good for them here. As we go back through now, uh, Saturday's games. Yeah, this one was crazy. The Matt quarters, Marist beat Quinnipiac twenty nine to nineteen. So what the scoring look like for that? That's insane here. Uh, JoJo Pereka six and two, Jamison uh, Embury six and two, uh, Jake DC five and one. So a bunch of dudes put up a metric shit ton of points here for Marist. Let us see. Yep, Marist kind of wins the battle at the faceoff dot. I mean, that's a, I, I do believe they set a record for most faceoffs in a game in this one, and I do think it's the highest scoring game uh, since 1996 as well. I think Hopkins or Virginia or somebody scored a metric shit ton of goals way back in 1996 or some crap. But yeah, it's the mo- most faceoffs taken in a game, I believe, uh, in NCAA lacrosse history, at least at the D1 level. So that was actually pretty crazy. Uh, Richmond beat up on St. Bonaventure heading into their tournament here. Uh, we talked about that when Bryant lost to Merrimack, which I thought was an odd way for that to go. I did not see that playing out that way. Merrimack improves to seven and six, so a hell of a job by them. But yeah, Bryant ends up losing this game. What was the big factor here? Not a big factor in terms of faceoffs. Not a huge factor in terms of uh, uh, goalkeeping play. They just played better overall. Merrimack did in beating Bryant. That's impressive. Uh, let's see what do we got? Mercer beat Lindawood. Lindenwood, I always say that wrong. Brown beat Dartmouth. Air Force over Robert Morris. So Air Force, you know, they needed another win. They're now 10-5 and here, so they're looking pretty good. What happened in this one? Goalkeeping play was pretty solid here for Air Force. Almost went to Black Rifle Coffee here. Uh, Jake Knapp, I don't actually drink any of that coffee. Uh, I have clients, coffee clients that I have to, you know, mess around with, so I end up with a bunch of coffee ads. Yeah, I don't know what the story of this one was, honestly, here, but Air Force ends up beating Robert Morris, so that's good for them. Like I said, we'll talk about all the all the conference matchups and all that crap here moving forward and later in the week. Uh, Utah continued scoring a bunch of goals. They beat up on Queens. Vermont took down UMBC. They already had the one seed in the America East, so I don't believe that game even mattered. Although, let's see what Tommy Burke did at the faceoff dot in this one. Burke won 16 of 22. That's not too bad. Did he score a goal? Tommy Burke had a goal. Tommy Burke, 16 of 22 with a goal for Vermont. Uh, So that's a big deal. Like I said, they play Albany. I fully expect Vermont will beat Albany and head to the finals. High point lost to St. Joseph's. That's one that I should have talked about overall. I didn't, uh, but high point lose to St. Joseph's. They improved to 10 and four. St. Joseph's does, does high point drops to eight and seven and it's Matt Bomber one and four Tucker Brown, three and oh Levi Anderson, two and one along with Griffin Mallory. So that's a good job for St. Joe's in terms of goalkeeping play and eh, nothing special. Uh, what did Cole do? Zach Cole, 15 to 27. So actually high point managed to kind of keep things semi, semi respectable at the faceoff dot, albeit the guys who spelled Cole in Connor Trent, he goes three of five and then Giuseppe Morris, Morrissey, he goes one of one. So they actually won more than even just what Cole brought to the table for him. But, but that's it. That's it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, Virginia is going to take on Notre Dame today. I just decided, screw it, let's put this out today. The Notre Dame and Virginia game is once again pissing matched for, for who's going to get the top three seeds. Uh, who, which, which of the three ACC teams are, are going to be the one, two, and three seed or what's the, what the order is going to be. So I won't even cover that one. Figured I'd get this out for y'all today, albeit a little bit late. And then I will be, and thank God, 
We'll have less games to track next week. So next week, I'll start going a little bit heavier into D2 and D3. Uh, we'll start talking about their conference playoff scenario. So I'll, I'll try to cover a lot more of that moving forward now that I don't have as many D1 games to cover and cut highlights up for. So we'll do that too. But um, that's it for today. Come back. I'm going to put it out Wednesday. I'm going to put the recap or the preview show for the weekend out on Wednesday. That will include a recap from this Virginia-Notre Dame game, as well as any maybe conference tournament games that go down here between now and then. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, always go to laxfactor.com. You can watch our videos there and get swag. And that's it. Hoost is out. Lax Factor. The Lax Factor Podcast.